Welcome to the Meditation Ward. My name is Nadia Ward. I'm really excited to bring you this podcast where I talk to interesting people who also happen to be meditators. We talk about their stories, the way they got into meditation, and any tips or tools they'd like to share with you. Each week, there's a second episode, a guided meditation that we hope you'll enjoy. If you would like to start your own meditation practice, we would love you to check out our course, Exploring Meditation, a seven-week course designed by me, Nadia. Each week, you learn new tips and tools and how to create your own personal meditation practice that works for you. Follow us at The Meditation Ward on Instagram or go to the website, themeditationward.com. Sign up for our emails and check out our courses. And now, on to the episode. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today. Like I said, my name is Nadia, and today's a really wonderful episode. I'm really excited to get to talk to Jamie Lynn Maniscalco. Jamie is the president and founder of Thea Solutions, a catalyst for change. The mission is to train and advise women, non-binary and BIPOC, how to run, and get elected for office. She is now current director of Run Now, the National Organization for Women's First Virtual Campaign Training Program. She teaches members how to run for office and how to become professional winning campaign operatives. She's been working in politics for 15 years. Jamie has always been a meditation and yoga enthusiast. And now that Jamie is also a yoga instructor, Thea Solutions integrates yoga and meditation into political spaces. Such incredible, tireless work, Jamie. Yes, thank, thank you. Thank you for that kind introduction. It is tireless, but that is why we practice, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's like so interesting because it's not, I was really looking forward to today's conversation, A, because I know you and love you, but also because hearing how this has come into a political space when this probably isn't something that's offered into a political space. I was curious what that looks like for you and how that's come about. So I think if it's okay, first, I'd kind of like to talk about what that's starting to look like for you and then Mm -hmm. um, what that looks like within your career and how you're, you know, forming all of this and your goals and hopes that this will create. But then I'd like to take a step back into your journey and into what your meditation practice was and has become into now. Perfect. Yeah. And now so you just go. The, I, I'm done with my part now. <laughs> you just nice. <laughs> just kidding. So the, the entire reason I got certified in yoga to be a certified teacher was to bring it into these political spaces that I've been working in for the past 15 years. So what, it, what does that even mean or look like? Uh, it's very hands-on. All of these political organizations, whether it's a campaign, whether it's an organization that organizes Democrats running for Congress, Democrats running for governor. There are all these organizations that group political like-minded people together. And a lot of them have summer conferences or virtual conferences. So a very hands-on way that I am integrating my practice and bringing it directly to the room where people in politics are making decisions and recruiting leaders who will run our country is I am now doing leading meditation at these conferences. So in the political space, there are retreats where either donors or elected officials get together to converge on ideas, to set plans for the year, to set up new organization structures for the year. And at all of these retreats, there's always some activity, whether it's horseback riding, playing golf, 
skeet shooting. And I was involved in planning all of these retreats for these kind of organizations and campaigns in the past. So I got certified in yoga because I knew that more and more folks are understanding the importance of meditation and mindful breathing and practicing yoga in the daily scope of life. And I saw an opportunity to take those retreats, those places where these these decision makers and these leaders in the political world are already gathering and bring it straight to them, put it on the retreat agendas. So most recently, a phenomenal organization called Emerge had their national meeting of all of their national staff. Um, they're spread out across the country. So it was a virtual training where I led meditation and breath work before they got involved in the day's work of the conference. Um, this summer in July, I will be teaching yoga at the National Organization for Women's in-person conference, where, you know, anywhere from 100 to 300 feminists are going to be getting together and talking about our agenda for the 2024 election and how we want to run our state chapters. So it is truly being somebody who comes from the political space and having the experience there, knowing how to talk to these people, knowing who plans the retreats, knowing when these retreats are planned, allows me to integrate both parts of me, the political side of me and the, the true self of me, which is the yoga self. Um, I would have never been able to stay involved and focused in 15 years of po politics without my constant yoga and meditation practice. So I know the benefits that it has given me to be able to operate and move in these political spaces, which could be so contentious um, and very reactive. So I want to spread these tools and I just want to, I am bringing it directly to where the people are already gathering. So that is what it looks like in real time showing up at their conferences and making them do down dog or leaving them through breath work before they have those hard conversations. Wow. Has there been a lot of, um, are do people seem excited about this on their agenda or? Oh, for really sure. Think? For sure. Oh, for sure. Um, so another way I should say that this is incorporated in real time is I'm an activist too. Like, yes, I'm an operative and I run these organizations and I teach people how to run for office. And I, I'm um, my company, I'm a consultant. So people pay me to help them learn how to fundraise and, and do true things on their campaigns. But I also, in my personal time, I'm out there as a protester. So uh, just like three weeks ago, I went up to Tallahassee to sleep outside, camp outside for three days with other protesters um, um, fighting back against the six-week abortion ban that Governor DeSantis signed into law. And I led yoga one morning. We had been sleeping on the ground. Um, and my intention and the purpose of me going up there was to be a yoga facilitator at this three-day camping protest. Um, so whether it's the elected officials or actually the true staff or just simply the activists who are literally putting their bodies on the lines, um, I'm bringing yoga to all those aspects of politics, essentially, is my goal. So that's, that's really another real, real way that it happened and, and gets used in real time. That's really incredible. Yeah, I love it. Because at the end of the day, those, I understand people, especially in the wellness world, will say things like, I'm not political. I can't even watch the news. I'm too sensitive. I hate to break it to you. If you live on planet Earth, absolutely everything you encounter at some level is political. Where the stoplights are, what's being taught in schools, there's a school board that's elected 
who the sheriff is, that's an elected position, who your judges are, those are elected positions. So your whole life is political, whether you like it or not. Anytime you buy something in America, that there's taxes. So anytime you're online. Uh, <laughs> right. So so that being said, there is no separation between yoga and the political. I am trying to take meditation and this ancient practice, these ancient tools, this ancient wisdom, this innate wisdom that some of us have in our body that we just need to move to feel better, bringing it into these spaces where people are sitting down at the table and making decisions that impact all of our lives at every level. And before, you know, these politicians and and lobbyists and leaders, they're humans too. Like they could have just had a bad morning because of a personal relationship or their kid could have frustrated them. And how do their emotions and how does their state of mind or their lack of mindfulness impact how they're voting, impact on how they're making decisions about who can be who and, and what can happen in this world? Because if people are, as we know, as practitioners in meditation, when you lose your practice or when you're away from your practice, it's very easy to get caught up in the outside in in, in the outer reality. And when your mind is going 10,000 miles a minute and you're making decisions that impact thousands and thousands of people, um, that's not a good recipe for mindful decisions that will be beneficial and empathetic to all. So that is why I really I'm super passionate about integrating both of these sides of myself because they were never separate anyway. And I just want to serve those who are in these positions of service. Wow. Yeah. When you started doing yoga, were you already in your 15 year start of your political journey or they literally started? No, they started almost like like, exactly at the same time. If you can believe it. Um, I started toying around with yoga. I was living in Charlotte, North Carolina. I moved there to fit. My parents moved there when I was finishing high school. Um, and I went to college in North Carolina as well. And my last year of high school. So when I was around 16, 17 and my first year of college, 17, 18 is when I started to practice yoga. Um, and that is exactly when I started to do political work as well. Uh, when I was 15, I went to a high school where there was a t- teacher who was certified to teach um, AP level art history. And I really wanted to take the class. So I organized a petition and got 100 people to sign the petition and got the class on the schedule so I could take it. So that was like my first political act. But I started volunteering for Obama in 2007. That's when I was 17. And that's when I started getting involved in yoga, too. Um, so they happened at the same time, not on purpose, but I mean, everything has a reason, I believe, but they started at the same exact time, basically. And now I'm I'm about, I'm turning into my, I'm coming on to my 33rd year. So basically half my life has been politics and yoga driven, <laughs> literally. And when you first started doing yoga, was it just like the movements or a lot of, you know, this, this podcast is more centered around meditation and yoga is a form, obviously meditation. But when when we say yoga, a lot of people think like a yoga class or the movements. So when did like more of the meditative practice of yoga start to have an impact on you and did the movements become for the meditation practice or if you'd like to explain your journey to me? hundred percent that. So yoga at first was, I grew up dancing and I'm somebody who I've learned now with my body. 
I need yoga and meditation simultaneously together at all times to be truly grounded and centered. And I think it always goes back to like, that is our innate nature as humans. Humans, we need to move and express our body, but we also need to sit and be. Um, so how I got to the place of meditation almost becoming more important in a way than my yoga practice was I would say around my last year of college. So coming around the age of, I, I came into the yoga practice because I loved the movement. And as soon as I started practicing yoga, I learned that yoga was not just the movement. It had eight limbs and there was a philosophical, philosophical aspect. I have a degree in philosophy. I love that. I could sit and learn about the yoga sutras all day. So I learned that early in my practice. I learned that when I was like 19. And in learning that, I started to learn more about meditation. And when I was 19 and 20, I was an overperformer and I had very serious anxiety, like debilitating anxiety attacks. And I did not want to take medication. But I learned through yoga teachers and through being in yoga studios and around people that I trusted that through the yoga practice, through the pranayama, through the breath work, through meditation, we can calm our own bodies down. We can calm our own nervous systems. We can calm our own heart rates. And it was something that I intuitively started to figure out. I intuitively started to learn when I go to the 75 minute yoga class that has the five minutes of meditation after, that is the only time I feel good right? That's the time where I feel the most balanced. So it definitely was yoga brought me to meditation. But now I've learned that the movement, whether it's yoga, whether it's riding my bike, whether it's walking my dog, whether it's going for a run, the whole point of the movement is to get to the place where I can sit and have that clarity. And that's the meditation. Um, and meditation and breath work is what has truly shifted my ability to be in this space because when you work in the political space sometimes you're working 10 15 hours a day and if you want to talk about anxiety attacks right and not being over caffeinated and your heart palpitating sincerely and hyperventilation um i would always just shift back and say listen i gotta get on my mat for 10 minutes i gotta meditate for five minutes before i can do anything else because i need to center and ground so it intuitively became medicine to me and then i learned from teachers you were right, right? Like yoga, breath work and meditation is a way to bring us back to center and humans have known it for thousands of years. Um, and meditation has brought me on the other side. If that, you know, I, I feel that I have like left the 3D and been in other realms due to just breath work and meditation. So there's a lot of power behind it that I keep. Um, and I feel like that's where the true self resides. And that's where I always get a lot of answers is when I sit. Yeah. I, when now you've brought up more questions for me, cause I want to talk to you about what breath work looks like um, and how you practice it. But I also want to go back if it's okay and talk a little bit about anxiety attacks that you said when you were around 20 ish, part of like my yeah. purpose with this podcast is a lot of times when people are thinking about meditating or have been in this practice for a long time. Um, or people that are new sometimes think that their teachers like have it together or they know the answers and they always have. And uh, one of the things I want to share and let people know is that we're all fucking broken. You know, we've, yep. all, we've all been through it. And this is one of the things that has helped save us and it's never too late yep. to start. And so part of this is like asking for like a little vulnerability, if you're comfortable about sharing, like what was anxiety about for you? Like what, where did you go? Like, helping other people feel like, oh, okay, 
I, I, I'm okay too. I will tell you the first, so the first anxiety attack I ever had, had nothing to do with politics. I was, I hadn't sleep, slept super high anxiety, taking a test, thought I was putting normal eye drops in my eyes. And I put like super, I, I don't use eye drops. They were my roommates and they were like for contact lenses. And like, I couldn't see an hour before a test. So that was the first time I learned what an anxiety attack felt like. The the chest totally closing in, cannot feel like you can breathe, literally feel like you're dying, cannot find the breath, feeling like you're having a heart attack, hands are clammy, body shaking, um, chills. Like I have had that panic attack. Then that was the panic attack I had in my 20s, right? The first one I ever had. Then the second big one like that I ever had was two days before Donald Trump was elected while I was driving a car. I thought I was having an allergic reaction to something and I literally called 911 on myself because I thought my throat was closing. And I was deep in my, and I say this because that was in 2016. So at this point, I'm 10, 11 years in my yoga practice, right? I meditate. I know how to use my breath work. I know how to calm my body. But there are still moments when I have not taken care of myself adequately. If I'm not in my practice, if I have not been hydrated, if I'm over caffeinated, if I've drank too much alcohol, where my body snaps into these anxiety attacks, right? And the only thing, the only thing that brings me back is my breath and meditation and sitting and engaging my senses and remembering that. I am in control, right? Not the not the brain eye, not the ego eye, but the true self eye, the 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 eye that's all the way down there that we learn about in the yoga yoga sutras, the the unchanging everlasting soul that these physical manifestations are my nervous system overreacting and and to be honest, right? I probably I had one of these probably like 2 years ago. I don't drink much alcohol anymore because I've learned that that is a symptom that my body doesn't like anymore. And it can put, put me into these states of anxiety attacks. Um, so yes, I'm a yoga teacher. Yes, I meditate, but I do that because it is my medicine, right? Because it brings me back to center. And at any point, I don't like to say at any point, because I truly believe that every year you grow and hopefully your practices provide stability, but they're there are conditions that I can set myself up in where I can put myself back in that state at any time. If I am not engaging in my meditation and breath work to keep me grounded. Um, so yeah, the anxiety attacks feel awful. And a lot of them were always triggered by work stress. A lot of them were triggered by work stress and not being able to reach goals. And then as we got deeper into COVID, um, just true fear for loss of life. Right. And, and then also we learn through our practice that there is nothing to fear because there is no end. And that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother podcast. Um, but yeah, the meditation and breath work is the only thing that brings me back to reality and to groundedness. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, as a yoga teacher, I've learned that part of my practice is the offering of the practice to others. Cause like mm. I, I just moved to a new city, so I don't have, um, I don't have my yoga studio that I go and teach at. And I'm like, you right. know, I'm doing a sound healing next week for some people. And, um, I'm really excited because it's like realizing that like, Oh, I'm, a lot of my purpose is also giving these tools and this practice to other people. And then it helps me be stronger in my practice also. But also part of that is like the circle of me being a teacher and learning through teaching and then offering and it's endless. Yeah. I agree with that so much. That's why like, 
the joy I felt, even though that the breath work and meditation I only led was, it was only 10 minutes on this virtual conference of people from across the country who are running a badass organization, like just even being able to teach them the four, the four, like our, my meditation is going to start with the four part breath, like the box breathing, right? Just being able to teach people that and they put that in their pocket and have it as a resource and tool forever now. And that like, just me knowing somebody or touching somebody for 10 minutes, give them a slight tool of meditation or breath um, that they could use forever. It's, it's a really beautiful, it's like an honor. It's, it's an honor and, and it should not be taken for granted. And I, I sometimes do not like um, the world of the social media because it totally dilutes the spiritual and the true human connectedness that this practice is. Yeah. Something that I'm hearing too, is like, just like the acknowledgement that this used to be a huge part of the human practice of just like Mm -hmm. yoga and breathing and being grounded and connecting. And we've gotten so far away from that. Now it's almost like comical that like, we have to like, try to make ourselves feel like humans again and ground ourselves to the earth and where we are and be present. And there's no judgment in that, right? Like as a yoga teacher, like there are days where I forget to meditate, right? Like, and there are days where I want to use my my calm app because I want to be guided. And there are days where I am only meditating on my mala beads and I say my japa and that's it. And it's different every day. Um, But it is like reminding ourselves, like we are human beings and this is how we're not supposed to be just on these screens, yeah. Yeah, we need to we need to live the practice you can't just teach it you need to live it the reason yeah. that i'm teaching it is because i lived it and it's safe <laughs> yeah and like what i'm saying too isn't a judgment on individual people it's more of like right. how far the world has changed in yes. general that we're so disconnected um from this part of our our existence and how we started practicing for thousands of years yeah i agree with you yeah, but it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to juggle it all. It really um, is. So when you you've talked about breath work a couple of times and you mentioned the box breath and I love the box breath, which you're going to lead in the meditation you said, but when you're talking about breath work, some people see it as more of like, like Wim Hof or shamanic, this like long breath practices. When you're talking about breath work, do you just mean different styles of breathing? What kind of yes. breath work do you do in your meditation? And I'd like you to describe what your meditation would look like if you were to have five or 10 minutes to sit alone, what would that look like for Jamie? So, and the funny thing is too, I am not somebody who has studied extensively like the Joe Dispenza's or the Wim Hof at all. So my breath work practice is what I have just picked up from yoga teachers that I love and respect. Right. Um, what I consider breath work is when you hear teachers not consider, but the breath works practices, I say, I would say that I engage the most is a four part breathing, which is where you inhale for four counts, you hold for four counts, you exhale for four counts and you hold empty for four. Um, another breath work that I like to do a lot is the called the Nadi Shoda. So it's, um, switching it's it's plugging one nostril breathing in through one and plugging one nostril and breathing in through the other the first one the four all of the breath works have different all of these techniques produce a different result so like the box breath work is to ground and center yourself and to just bring yourself into the moment um whereas this nadi shoda breathing in and out opposite nostrils 
I like to think about it integrating the left and right side of my body. Um, and there are really extensive, extensive books and way more extensive explanations of this. But for simplistic reasons, those are two that I engage often. Another one that I engage very often that I like and I, I'm going to share in the meditation is the humming bee breath. Uh, so you breathe in and then you go. Mm, it's like saying own to yourself and the the. That breath is supposed to promote interconnectivity, empathy, compassion, collaboration, just kind of like a beehive. And it also calms your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. So when you do it in tandem with people, especially when you let folks do it on their own breath, like just inhale and hum, it sounds like a beehive and it just promotes cooperation and collaboration. So I love to do that. And when I'm starting, when I'm leading like breath work or meditation, for corporate or political groups. I'll do that to kind of ground and center everybody. Um, and it makes your, it automatically becomes something your senses can grasp that prove the interconnectedness of everybody in the room with you and promote collaboration in a different way than just breathing in and out together, in my opinion. Um, and the breath work again, really how it just started for me was inhale for five, exhale for 10, because that was to manage my anxiety, right? It was just literally slow down your breathing because when we are hyperventilating, we're raising our heart rate. We're increasing the fight or flight response. Our, our parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system get out of whack. So it's, it's science too. That's why I really, really enjoy incorporating breath work into my meditation. It's because I know that when I can control my breath and slow down my breath, it slows down my heart rate, which brings me into a rest and restore um, position in my nervous system, which then promotes regrowth, right? Um, truly at a scientific level as, as well. And um, a really cool book, I forget what it's called. It's on my nightstand. I'll send it to you if you put links in the chats. Um, there's a really cool book that is now proving and science is proving that this breath work and meditation can regrow the neural pathways in our brain, right? That, that through these ancient practices, we can literally heal ourselves. Um, so I am, I am just toe stepping into breath work, but it is essential for me now. So, and then the five to 10 minutes by myself, I would start just, I would, I would, I like to sit on my pillow. I like to be in a cross-legged position or Lotus, full Lotus or half Lotus. I like to do this mudra with my palms open. So I she has her finger just, and her thumb, her index finger and thumb together and her, yes. um, kind of like the okay symbol is what she's showing. Yes. And I like to inhale and exhale really deeply. And I like to do that five times and literally envision my breath as a different color every day. Sometimes it's glitter, sometimes it's hot pink, sometimes it's a warm aura. And I just let my own breath wash over me to calm myself down. And then every day it's different. Sometimes I'll do a four part breath. Sometimes I'll do Nadi Shoda. Sometimes I do meditation as soon as I wake up. So I don't feel like I need to gather my thoughts. I just breathe deep for a few moments and then I just drop in. But if I've been 
and all over the place. Sometimes I need to do like alternate nostril breathing to feel like I can integrate both sides and ground myself down. But in general, my five to 10 minutes is just going to be figure out what breath do I need today? Do I need to ground myself? Do I need to wake myself up? Or do I just need to drop in right away to this meditation because I'm already here? And another way I use breath work is when I'm coming out of a meditation, especially if it's the morning and I'm feeling really sleepy, I'll engage something like Kabbalah Bhati breath or Bashrika, you know, the to like wake up myself and charge my and charge my solar plexus. And and it's a lot of yoga that and and pranayama that is incorporated into my meditation. It's really not separate. Yeah. The question though, I have more about like the meditation part is like, when you say I just drop in, what does yes. that mean? And like, what are your practices that have helped you get to what that space is? Got it. So for me, one of my yoga teachers once asked me before, what do you do when you meditate? And I said, I don't do anything. And she said, Wow, that's one of the first times I've ever heard that, right? I'm not somebody who counts the breath. You know, there are what I mean when I drop in is I I simply I close down my eyes, I unclench my jaw, I let my tongue drop from the roof of my mouth, and I just sit. I roll my shoulders back and I listen with my ears. And I let the noise around me, whatever it is, just become some sort of chorus. And anytime that a thought or anything arises, I'm a very visual person. So I either imagine it as a cloud or a feather or an app that I'm closing on my phone. And I just simply wash it away from my third eye vision. Because anytime I'm dropping into meditation, I'm a very visual person. So anytime I close my eyes and say, I drop in, it's as soon as I tell my brain and body at this point, okay, we're going to meditate. It's almost like uh, a curtain closes on the outer reality and a new curtain, as soon as I physically close my eyes, a different curtain lifts up and I like, am in my own little meditative zone. So I don't know if that explains that was if really that helpful. Your question. That was really helpful. <laughs> yeah, because um, I loved. I actually loved too. Like, you know, because sometimes for me, I picture because um, of Ram Das, you picture like a creek or a stream, and then I mm. put the thought, I put it on a leaf, and the leaf goes. But instead of watching the leaf, mm. you watch the stream. Um, it's like, no, you keep your eyes on the stream. It's not about the thought. The thought goes. You yes. know. So, I, but I loved you closing the app. Um, that was one of my teachers. I love you know, that. That's, how, that's the only way that my mom has ever been able to latch onto meditation. For me, the first way of latching onto the idea of the thoughts will come, but let them float by. At first I was like, what the fuck is that? Honestly, I have to-do lists in my head a million miles a minute. And sometimes it's still like that, right? The, the one that the visualization that has for me, because I am visual and I love to just lay and look at the clouds, especially when I'm at the beach just your thoughts become clouds and like your like just focus on the blue sky and just let the clouds go away. Another teacher was the one who told me close an app. 
And I said the cloud thing to my mom didn't stick. But when I told her, okay, how about this? Imagine you're closing an app on your phone. She was like, oh my God, I can do that. I can do that. So it's also like everybody's brain is different. So how you drop in is never going to be the same way as somebody else does. Yeah. And so then my next question is, I mean, you, you described part of it. It sounds like now the curtain comes up and lifts much quicker, much quicker than it used to, because it sounds like it took you a while to find, of course, what worked for you, which is to be expected. Um, But then now the space in between thoughts has that grown and changed, but also when you get into that space between thoughts, how's your practice been with um, staying there and what does there mm-hmm. feel like to you? This is one of my favorite topics. Uh, oh. It's called the, the no thing place, the no thing place, like not the nothingness, but like the no thing place. Like to me, you know, in parts of the movie where like everything is white, like in Willy Wonka or wherever, like it doesn't look like there's any walls. It doesn't like, like there's a floor, there's mm-hmm. a ceiling. It's just like a human in a white room. Yeah. It's like that. Like that is what the space between and like the Dave Matthews song, right? Like the space between, um, <laughs> the space between just feels it's the everlasting. It's the place where I know I came from. The thing that I haven't talked about much ever before is I have been to that place since I was like eight or nine years old. So when I was like eight or nine years old, I would stay up really late or wake up really early. And my brain would start to think about like how expansive time and the universe is and how small I am. And I'm literally like eight or nine and my eyes would be closed. And this still happens in meditation. And I would see like flashing lights. It would look like shooting stars of all different colors. And it would feel like I'm going out into the universe, into a galaxy. And I would just get to this place that where there was nothing. And as a little kid, I would be so fucking terrified that I wouldn't be able to get back. And I would, it would, I would almost feel like I was in sleep paralysis, but I think I've been deeply meditating ever since I was a child. Um, And I didn't know that I was in meditation because now that I'm older, I go to that place and it's not scary anymore. Um, But it's like a place that I feel that I have been before. So the place between the thoughts, because I am a visual person, it feels like I just finally break free of everything. And I'm just like in the infinite beyond. Um, If that makes any sense. (laughs) Yeah. Then why ever come out of it? How do you just exactly? For, how do you ever sit for just ten minutes? It's like how do you ever get anything done once you get in there? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, a lot of my and a lot of my meditation, I use timers and stuff, right? Because I do run a business and help people run for office and teach yoga classes and have a dog and a partner and have to get places. Um, but I true, I'm, I'm manifesting it out there. Tomorrow's a, a new moon, so a big new moon. Uh, Friday, May nineteenth. I am somebody who, in my professional life. And just for the past 15, 20 years, feel like I haven't fucking stopped talking. And I really want to go on a silent retreat so I can sit and be in the nothing place for like three days. And it doesn't matter. And like, see what happens after that. Like, that's a dream to me. So, Jamie, I'm interested. Let's do it. Let's just do it. (laughs) Okay. But here's, but here's my question. Do you think you and I could be together? 
You'd be like, Daddy, yes. You'd be hitting me, I think. No, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. I'd have to promise. I'd have I to think promise. You would get excited. I think you would be hitting me. <laughs> but yeah, like, I. I am very interested in that because I feel the same way. I love being quiet. Yeah. But yeah, I when love you silence. Me- like today, I woke up at 4 a.m. just for the quiet because I love to write. It's not, it's not even, I love to write, but I have to write between like, four and six 30 before the world starts moving. And that's also the best time for me to meditate. And also like traditionally and any spiritual practice or any indigenous culture, we all know that's the best time to connect with all realms too. So yeah. that's like my favorite time Yeah, to practice meditation and yoga and anything spiritual. Where would you like to see your meditation and yoga practice go from here? The white house <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> Congress, the Supreme Court. <laughs> yes. School boards, school boards, public schools, assisted living homes, home health care workers being paid by Medicare and Medicaid, knowing how to lead yoga and meditation and breath work, being part of the laws that change the society that put capitalism and work above mindfulness. Yeah. Yeah. Good goals. We'll see how I get. Th- I'm pretty sure I can do it though. <laughs> Instead of one step at a time, it's one leap at a time. A giant leap, like Hanuman. So I work yeah. at Hanu. I work at um, Hanu in South Beach. That's where I'm a yoga teacher. Uh, that's where I got certified in yoga. That's where I learned about breath work more than anywhere. Right? I knew about breath work from Budhabi Yoga back in like 2015, 2013 uh, in Washington D.C. Um, and, and in Hanuman at Hanu yoga studio in South beach. Um, that's where I took a huge leap into breath work. And yeah, if you know the story of Hanuman, he took a huge leap across the ocean to go do part of his journey. So big leaps are necessary to make progress. He's a giant ape that spreads his legs far, right? Yep. And that's why in yoga, when you do a split, it's called Hanuman. (laughs) <laughs> yep so i'm excited for your breath work and meditation is there anything you feel like you'd like to share that we haven't talked about yet by any chance i would i would like to say that um japa although i'm not wearing my mala beads right now uh japa has been the most influential piece of my practice the newest most influential piece of my practice i would say that i found in the past so I've been practicing yoga for like, what, 16 years. Um, and it might be the most important thing that I found because Japa immediately puts me into a meditative state. Can you um, talk about what Japa means? Exactly. So in yoga, you there's a lot of folks who wear what are called mala beads around their neck. Um, and Japa is also performed in a lot of different religions, right? Like Catholics have the rosary bead and they hold the bead and they say a prayer on every bead. Japa is essentially um, mixing a mantra, a word, a prayer, a phrase, a quote in tandem with praying on either or praying, meditating, whatever word you want to classify. It's using a mantra simultaneously using a piece of string of beads And on every bead, you say this chant. 
So in the yoga, in what we do as yogis, right, our mala beads have 108 beads on them for many, 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 many significant reasons. Um, and I specifically have been chanting on a set of mala beads that were made out of aqua marine, uh, which was said to be the stone that like the Amazon warriors used. And it's, it's a really cool, excuse me, Amazonite, not aquamarine. What am I talking about? Amazonite is the stone it's made out of. And we made it in my yoga teacher training. This is all getting to a point. The Japa meditation that I'm, I have been saying consistently every day, and I also say it on the Mala Beads you gave me, Nadia, from your teacher training in Costa Rica, is Om Mani Padme Hum. Uh, many translations of it, even the Dalai Lama doesn't explain it well, but it's essentially one version of it is uh, the jewel is in the lotus, all hail the, the, the jewel in the lotus, which for me means that, and many interpretations, um, that a lotus comes from muck, right? And like the best of us always comes from the muck. I did some research on the stone and many, many, many generations of my family on both my maternal and paternal side were alcoholics. And I have been struggling slash working with an awkward relationship with alcohol myself since my 20s, right? Like I was the first person to ever go to college. I partied like a college student. Then I worked in politics with drinking and receptions all the time. What I learned is alcoholics and people who want to recover from addictions were told to have Amazonite in their hands. And in the past like year and a half that I've been doing japa on these mala beads that are made out of Amazonite, I have really broken any sort of tie that I feel to alcohol, right? I don't use it to release stress anymore. I don't use it as a tool. I just enjoy wine with dinner, right? It's totally shifted my relationship with alcohol. I don't accredit that just to a stone. And I don't accredit that just to Japa. I accredit that to a whole lifestyle change. But Japa, like chanting a mantra and using the mala beads to keep focused has been the a new has taken me to a different level of meditating and one chant that I would one thing that I would love to recommend to folks um is you don't even have to say like the Hare Krishna you don't have to say any sort of sutras you can take a mala bead a rosary bead and do the chant I am I am I am and it just centers you right away you know it, it brings you into the present moment and and the the japa and the chanting and the mala beads becomes almost like this rhythm of this this lullaby to yourself and it's a it's a beautiful way to meditate and i love it and i suggest it thank you for sharing yeah. that yeah yeah I love that you have a lot of different tools that you use at different times. Like sounds like the breath work you can just do and use like in moments of stress in the moment where it's like dropping in and going to your, the no thing place, you know, is going to be more centered and at home is like a practice. And then you have all these things that you can use at different times. And it sounds like you're really talented at helping people find things that work for them as well, which is like one of the passions of mine. It's like, it doesn't matter what works for me. We need to find what works for you. Or it doesn't matter. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And the last thing I'll say is like when you are doing any sort of work with a therapist or inner child healing or whatever, like you can have revelations in meditation. I've I've had a meditation after a yoga class before where I saw literally in my third eye, I saw 
every single version of myself. I saw myself at one, two, three, four, five, all the way through to the age that I was. And I like thanked each version of myself. And this was just a meditation. This wasn't like some hallucinogenic drug or anything. It was, I had a really strong yoga practice. I came to sit to meditate for 10 minutes in silence afterwards. And my like mind, body, brain meditation practice took me on this, this journey of, of thanking myself for showing up every year. So there's a lot of power in meditation. And although it can be hard sometimes and all you hear is your to-do list for the day running through your head, it's still the practice. You're still there. You're still sitting. And like, that still counts. That's, that's the last thing I want to say. Yeah. Thank you, Jamie. So you guys, uh, do you have any social media or anything that you want to lead people to? If you do, let me know anything else you want to add later can also still be in the show notes. Um, but it's been such a pleasure talking to you and I want people to be able to find you and your resources. Yes. So my name is hard to spell. So I'd love if you put it in the notes. Uh, my Instagram is at Jamie Maniscalco. So it's my full name. I made my Instagram back in the day. J-A-M-I-E-M-A-N-I-S-C-A-L-C-O. Nadia will throw it in the notes for you. Um, I teach at Hanu, H-A-N-U, Hanu Yoga Studio in South Beach. Um, connecting with me on Instagram is the best way to find me. And I also uh, would love to help anybody in politics who wants to learn how to run for office, or if you're already in the political world and you need some meditation and breath work brought into your space, please contact me, um, J-A-M-I-E at theasolutionsinc.com. And we'll put my email in the notes as well. Thank you, Nadia. Thank you so much. And I hope you guys stick around and use the meditation that will be also posted with us next and often. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you guys for listening. We hope you stick around for the meditation on the next episode. If you're interested in wellness coaching through a meditative lens or starting your own meditation practice with accountability, check out TheMeditationWard.com. Give us a follow on Instagram at TheMeditationWard and please like, review us, and share with your friends. See you soon.